0: Who are they? How did they get here? And where are they now? I'm Tyson Chastain, Director of Alumni Relations with Johnson University, and this is the Sojournal Podcast. (music) Have you heard about Johnson University's Vanguard Church Partners program? Churches who seek a more dynamic relationship with the university are invited to join this partnership as we work together to foster stronger connections between churches, the university, and the students who attend Johnson from VCP churches. Student scholarships and a variety of church benefits reinforce the partnership of Johnson University with each partner church. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash vanguard or call Brian Lakin, Director of Church Relations, at 865-251-2141. Today we're joined in the Sojournal Podcast by 2000, that is the class of 2000 graduate, Laura Rios. Laura, welcome to the Sojournal Podcast. Thank you thank you for being with me today. I appreciate you giving us your time, uh, especially considering your current circumstance in life. So uh, we'll get into a little bit of that as we go through the podcast. But to get started, Laura, would you mind just kind of giving a general introduction of yourself real quick? Uh, You know, where are you? Where do you live? Family, that kind of thing.
1: I um, live in Dublin, Ohio, which is a suburb of Columbus um, on the northwest side. I have been teaching at Jonathan Alder local schools for two years as an English learners teacher. When we were in school, it was called English as a second language. So basically I teach children who um, their families are from non-English speaking countries. And so they need help with their English. So that's my job. And I guess the big challenge that Tyson was referring to with me is that um, in I guess it was November, 2001, Um, I got really sick with a fever and I found out um, in December that I had endometrial cancer. So I've been dealing with that since December of 2001. And I'm actually on medical leave right now because I had a reconstructive um, surgery back in December. And then um, I had to have another surgery in January because I developed a hernia. I also had a a growth removed on my colon that had um it was like endometrial cancer that had spread there. So we're kind of trying to figure out what to do from there with that that growth they found. Thankfully it was just contained to the it was like a two centimeter tumor. So not very big and it there wasn't any sign of cancer anywhere else. So I have a doctor's appointment on Friday. So We'll see what we do after that but I've already gone through chemo and radiation had a hysterectomy and lots of other stuff but
0: the this this came down in 20 or 2000
1: Yeah 21 yeah, okay 2000- yeah so then that's um, my
0: own fault because I, I I thought you had said 2001 I one. I'm like I
1: could have possibly it that's I <laughs> it's it, possible yes that would be bad if I was dealing with it for 20 years but no okay. it's just been the last the last two
0: well still that's uh that's long enough and I mean it doesn't matter if it's you know a, a centimeter or a uh, baseball it's any any cancer is not good so yeah uh, you know I'm glad that you're getting that dealt with I imagine that that's brought up some things, uh, you, you, some questions, uh, some challenges and those kinds of things. So we'll talk about that uh, yeah. a little bit later in your journey. But before we get there, Laura, let's let's go back to the beginning. Where were you raised? Tell me about your childhood, your your early life.
1: Um, I was raised in Wilmington, Ohio, which is about an hour northeast, I guess, of um, Cincinnati. I was raised in a Christian home. I became a Christian when I was, I think six. So I had a, a you know a pretty good childhood. I went to Johnson, of course, or I wouldn't be on this podcast. Um, and I was on the teacher education program, and also got a um, endorsement in in TESOL, which is teaching English to speakers of other languages. I taught in southwestern city schools in Columbus um, for three years. Taught. To- English learners there, Um, and then I went overseas um, with Pioneer Bible Translators for, I guess I was with them for nine years, and I taught at a school for the children of missionaries called um, Ukarumpa International School in Papua New Guinea. Then in 2014, I came back to the States, and I was involved in a, um, I don't want to get into much detail because it's kind of high security, but I was, it was like a um, program for immigrants in the Columbus area Um, but it just the school that I was going to work at ended up closing so I was only with that for about two years and I realized I really prefer working with children so there were a couple years there I was subbing and working in a charter school and finally got hired on with Columbus City Schools and they're non-public support services department, which basically provides um, teachers for private schools um, that receive federal and state funding. So like these schools get federal and state funding, but if they want to use that funding to get a teacher, then the teacher is provided by the public school district in the area. So it's kind of weird. So I was like employed by Columbus city schools and I worked in two Catholic schools, but I wasn't allowed to do anything religious which kind of protected me in some ways since I'm not Catholic, but in other ways, it was kind of weird too. Like I wasn't allowed to go to mass or Mm -hmm. anything like that. Um, So they were pretty strict about that. So basically I was a a public school teacher in a Catholic school. (laughs) Um, So I did that for three years. And then I got the position I'm at now, um, I guess, 2021. Um, So that was kind of challenging too, because I got hired the position I'm at now, and then I end up getting cancer the first school year I'm in that school district. And so um thankfully they were very, you know gracious to me and yeah, very gracious and and helpful. and I was able to get a long-term sub and actually have the same long-term sub this time I'm out. so um, but yeah, that was a challenge, you know, being just tired and and then you get sick. So
0: jumping back to the childhood you said that you came to Christ at six years old, you were raised in a Christian home. So what are your earliest, you know, faith memories? What was it that ultimately brought you to make that decision to follow Christ?
1: Well, since I was raised in a strong Christian home, I mean, I, I don't remember not going to church, or being around it. I mean, I had parents that lived it at home, too. And I think that probably was the biggest influence for me was my mom and dad. But Also, I mean, I was really involved in Sunday school and other, you know, like Wednesday night and stuff like that. But I think the biggest thing is when I was about six, I was just like, I I think I realized that, that I was sinful, you know, and of course being raised in church, you taught about, you know, heaven and hell and your need for Jesus and stuff. And I just remember just like having trouble going to sleep at night because I was afraid I'd die in my sleep and, and I knew I needed Jesus. And so I, you know, I was pretty young, like six is pretty young to Mm -hmm. become a Christian. So I remember saying stuff to my parents and my parents kind of took it slow with me. They wanted to make sure that I really knew what I was doing. So my dad, I remember there was some little workbook or something he went through with me about, you know, making sure that I understood what I was doing. And and making sure that I wasn't just making the decision out of fear, but like knowing that like Jesus would be Lord of my life too. I remember him emphasizing that. I remember we were driving home from Thanksgiving. We went to my my dad's parents, which is like 30 minutes away um, for Thanksgiving. And I was in the car and I don't remember the conversation. I just remember we had a conversation and uh, about becoming a Christian. And And my parents felt like I was ready and I was ready. And they were like, well, Let's just do it. Like, you know, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, they didn't wait till Sunday morning when grandma and grandpa and everyone could come. They just, you know, here's water. Let's do it. (laughs) So my dad called up the the minister and got keys to the church. And we just had a little private ceremony in there. And I remember the water was really, really cold because this was like late November in Ohio and they had a, a heater for the baptistry, but they didn't keep it on all week. Mm-hmm. So I remember I had like little corduroy pants on and I was just cold. <laughs> but I mean, oh. after I became a Christian, then it was like all that fear went away.
0: Did you uh, get involved in Christian camp or anything when you were young?
1: I went to church camp most years. I think there were a couple of years in high school I didn't, but um, I was, went to Butler Springs Christian Assembly that's in Southwestern Ohio, like near Hillsboro. So, yeah, I went there um, a lot when I was growing up and that, you know, I really enjoyed church camp.
0: You know that that uh, the director of Butler Springs, Keith Warner, recently retired and now lives here in Seymour, Tennessee.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, Yeah, he was. He was a director there a long time because I think he became a director when I was still going to camp. So he was there a long time. Yeah.
0: In uh, in your childhood then and in your faith journey, you give your life to Christ at six. Tell me about the years between six and graduating high school. You know, did you, did you, uh, how did your faith develop? Did you have any yeah. crises of faith? Uh, what, what Was there, was there a time where you actually latched onto this faith as your own or was that at six years old?
1: I think in some degree it definitely was my own. I think as I got older, like college age, And when I went overseas, when I was in college, um, and I was there were a lot of people from other faith traditions. So I think that was, I mean, still Christian traditions, but just like, had to really dive into the scriptures about like, more details about, you know, theology and stuff. I don't think I ever really had a crisis where like, I didn't believe in God or anything like that. In high school, I kind of felt led to do teaching and And missions, which I've done, you know, at some point in my life, I think there were several times I committed myself to to do that. But yeah, I would say like the big thing of like really like the nitty gritty of like details about theology, about like what I believed about, you know, like for example, baptism, or I think that was a big one. Was more like when I was in probably in the middle of college um, when I went overseas with with that group so that okay. was like interdenominational so
0: did you say what your home church was as you were growing up
1: it was a um, instrumental church of christ
0: oh okay do you remember the name of it
1: um wilmington church of christ
0: good good so how did you discover johnson being you know from wilmington church of christ i imagine that cincinnati held heavy influence in the area how did you how did you find yeah the johnson
1: Well, yeah, my parents both went to Cincinnati Christian University, Um, well, it was Cincinnati Bible College when they went there. My youth minister was a Johnson graduate, Danny Harp, Um, Mm. that had some influence, but like I knew I wanted to go into education, and so I had narrowed it down, and I wanted to go to a Christian school, because I had um, always gone to public schools, and I just wanted more of a Christian background, I guess. So I narrowed it down to Johnson and Cincinnati and Milligan. I just, I liked that I could get everything at Johnson. Cause at that time, Cincinnati, you had to do part of your, your work at a, um I think it was the college of Mount St. Joseph mm. at the time. And, and it just was like cheaper and easier just to be at one school and the scholarships are better at Johnson. So I went to Johnson. So um, yeah. And it, it ended up being a really good fit for me. So.
0: So did Danny encourage you toward Johnson?
1: Well, we took college trips when I was in high school. So we did one, I think we visited KCC and then also Johnson. And then we had done like, there were a lot of, um, at least in junior high, I think there was a Ohio. I don't know. I don't even remember what it was called, but it was some sort of conference for junior high kids at um Cincinnati and I had done a uh there used to be a like a singing group um with Cincinnati um for high school kids and I did that one summer too it's called Solid Rock I mean my parents had gone to a Christian college so they knew about different Christian colleges in the area Um, I mean I was considering several different ones but I knew Dawson was a good option and I'd been to Dawson because we had done you know trips when I was in high school Mm -hmm. at johnson so i've been on the campus and stuff
0: several people talk about this this sense this feeling that they get when they first pulled onto campus that just instantly felt like home did you get any sense of that when you came
1: i've always been a pretty methodical person Mm -hmm. so you're gonna laugh at this but this was the way i was i just like i literally like made a t-chart and did pro and con list it took me a long time to make a decision (laughs)
0: i was about to say that sounds like the Laura Roberts that I remember from college. You were always so studious yes. and and, yes. and meticulous. And yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, I'm not usually one to make a decision based on feelings, but there's good <laughs> about
0: that. That's great. Okay, so you made that decision to come to Johnson. Teacher education was the direction. So tell me about your experience at Johnson. What was it like for you? Uh, academically, spiritually, socially, what are the things that jump out to you in those three areas?
1: I guess I'll start spiritually. Um, I really enjoyed my Bible classes. You know, I came from a Christian background, so I didn't feel like the Bible class, a lot of it was stuff I had learned and, you know, in Sunday school and stuff, but I liked really how we were able to to dig deeper, especially with things you don't study as much like the prophets, you know, <laughs> you don't talk about that too much in, in Sunday school, but no, I felt like I had a really good foundation, and I was involved in in Harvesters as as you were, which is a mm-hmm. missions emphasis group. I really enjoyed that. Um, so I think it just kind of opened my eyes like different opportunities. And then just like it was really good having good Christian friends. You know, making friends that you know some people say high school is the best years of your life. I don't think so. <laughs> but um, at least it wasn't for me. But it's just. It was nice to be with other people that, of course, everyone's at a different place in their faith,
0: but, mm-hmm. you know, there yeah, were,
1: I was able to make some friends who had really solid faiths. And
0: did you remember much about chapel?
1: Well, I remember we had to, when I first started going to chapel, we had to sit in alphabetical order. So that was interesting. <laughs> I think there was a whole row of, cause my last name was Roberts. So, you know, that's a pretty common name. So <laughs> a lot of Roberts is in a row. Um, I always tried to just think about chapel because when we went there too, it was like, it was required to go to chapel. And we actually got a grade for it. I don't know how it is now, but
0: yep, um, sort of I always
1: way. just, yeah. So I always kind of like tried to think that it like, don't think about it that way because if you, right. you know, just go cause you need to go um or you want to, but yeah, I always liked it. They sometimes had guest speakers or professors who talk, but then often the, The guys who were you know seniors they were they would preach and i always enjoyed that too and then they used to have a thing i don't know if they still do now but down in the eubanks activity center they had um like evening chapel but it was like pretty relaxed like just you know someone with a guitar singing and different guys would take turns you know practicing preaching Mm -hmm. um so i was i like that too
0: and, um, like that was church on the hill yeah. or something is what they called that at the time
1: I'm yeah i think it that. was church on the hill although it wasn't on the. It wasn't no it really wasn't was it was in the valley it was down, wasn't it <laughs> yeah so i don't know why they called it that but anyway yeah yeah and i was like i mean the chapel i don't even know is that building still there the chapel but, <laughs> but the one we were at it it was just like that classic southern architecture um with yeah. the the white hues and i always thought it was pretty but
0: yeah yeah the chapel is still there at least at the moment unfortunately the okay. building is uh off limits to any occupation because of structural issues and such but
1: yeah, yeah. it's kind of right on the hill so
0: how about <laughs> academically tell me about uh, some of the classes that jump out some of your favorite professors maybe a lesson or two that you learned
1: well, i was on the teacher ed program which is hard i don't think it was hard because of the content as much as just the workload was hard mm-hmm honestly, when you become a teacher, your workload's heavy. <laughs> it is, it's just, it's a different sort of job, you know, it's like really heavy during the school year and then you have the break mm-hmm. in the summer, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not a, a cushy job. I mean, it, it's, it's hard work. Mm-hmm. Um. So in some ways I, I, think it prepared me, you know, for that, but yeah, I do like the fact that, you know, with teacher ed, our classes were always small because I changed graduating classes because of going to going overseas for a year or so um, but I think when I graduated I had like 13 people in my class and then my my EL classes or ESL or whatever you want to call it they keep on changing the acronyms um, <laughs> I would have like three or four of us in that class so um that was really nice about having such a small class size for my you know my program um, but yeah the bible classes I really like too. I mean i I, dr reese he was a really good professor i liked him and dr mattingly and Mm -hmm. their classes were really good and overall most of my classes at johnson were you know very very good and and even you know your classes that are like the general ed classes you never had more than 100 people in a class so it's not like if you go to ohio state where it's like (laughs) Woo! <laughs> which i really like ohio State. that's where i'm getting my medical treatment actually is um, oh, the james yeah. at ohio state university so i'm thankful i live so close to there but i think there's there can be benefits of going to a smaller university you know getting more intimate
0: mm-hmm. class size mm-hmm. i agree that was that was definitely one of the blessings of being here at johnson good small class size professors who knew you personally do you remember anything in particular that uh, Dr. Reese taught like any 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 of his funny acronyms or anything that jump out to you?
1: I can't think of anything specific, but that's all right, but I remember he used mnemonics a lot um and sometimes had like little illustrations and stuff on his overheads and I'm sure he had to transfer those over to PowerPoint as time went on but, <laughs> would yeah.
0: would you have considered yourself a studious student? Do you have a good g p a
1: pretty good, yeah. I mean, it was harder at Johnson in High School. I mean, college usually is harder because I went to a public school and we were on a 10 point scale
0: mm-hmm. and
1: Johnson's was not on a 10 point scale. I mean, like a B minus is more like an A, you know, in high school. So so it makes you work harder. But yeah, I mean, I I was a, like an A, B student in college. So um, but I worked really hard in high school because I knew that I had to get scholarships and stuff in order to go to school so I that was incentive for me to to work really hard in high school so I think because I was studious in high school it wasn't that big of a transition in college because I already had those like that work ethic and that um, so I didn't have like the freshman failed two or three classes because you're you know out with your friends all the time but <laughs> doesn't mean I didn't didn't hang out with people I did like that first semester especially when you first come, you know, mm-hmm. you hang out a lot.
0: But yeah. Now that you mentioned that, what about socially? What were the things that you got involved in as a student?
1: Well, I remember when I first got there, I mean, this isn't like a club or anything, but I remember we went to Booms Day. That was a big deal. They still have that in Knoxville, but usually used to be like Labor Day weekend. They had this big fireworks display downtown Knoxville. So I remember doing that my freshman year. I was in choir, I think for two semesters one semester I traveled and the other semester I didn't. And I enjoyed that, but it was just too hard with being on teacher ed to Mm -hmm. to do that. So, um, and I was in harvesters, which is the, we used to have like one chapel a week where you could choose what kind of like a special interest chapel. So harvesters were for people who are interested in missions and we'd hear have like different missionaries come and speak. So I I did that. I'm going to seem like such a nerd, but I was in the scripture memorization group. Um, Mrs. Eubanks led that. I think that was really pretty much all for my my extracurriculars. Um, usually in the summers I work um, back home, but mainly it was just, you know, hanging out with friends and um, for social things.
0: Well, as a teacher ed student, it really doesn't give you a whole lot of time to do a lot of other things. So
1: <laughs> No, because um, we had, when I went to school, we went, I think when, when I first started, we were, we had school Monday through Saturday at noon and Mondays were off so that the guys who were preaching majors could, like if they had a week in ministry, they could get back in time. And then it changed to only being like four days a week. So they didn't have it on Saturday because that was hard for the guys who were in and girls in sports. But usually for teacher ed on Mondays, that's when we would go into the schools and, and practice teaching. So it really I mean, there are girls who did it and guys um, who were in, I mean, I'm not athletic, so I didn't do sports, um, but, you know, did stuff, but I found it hard to travel. So I, I didn't do it after that one semester.
0: Well, you pr- prioritized your schoolwork, which I think was good. And uh, Yeah. I yeah. Think you're a better teacher because of it.
1: Yeah. And when I was in high school, I was in band too. And they did, Johnson did have a band, but it's just there was not enough time to do band and choir. So. What would you
0: play in band?
1: Uh, I played the clarinet. I haven't really played since I was in high school. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. Still, that's like... cool. You used to play the clarinet. I mean...
1: Yeah, I did. It wasn't Benny Goodman or anything, but I was decent.
0: <laughs> oh, that's fun. Obviously, being on the teacher education program, the way that works at Johnson, at least when we were in school, was the fourth year kind of naturally flowed into the fifth year to get the master's. Mm-hmm. Did you do that? <laughs> Yes. So after that fifth year, how did you discern what was your next step? Uh, You know what? I I, I guess, I mean, I know that you were involved in missions because you mentioned that. What stoked your passion for missions? Why did you start to go to Harvesters in the first place?
1: The church that I was involved in when I was growing up um, was pretty missions-minded. And uh, we actually had a a missionary that we supported most of his support. And my parents are missions-minded. So I think just being exposed to that as a, at a young age. And, you know, when missionaries would come to vacation Bible school and stuff, I think I've always been interested in other cultures. I just always find it interesting. Um, I didn't really grow up in an environment where there are a lot of other cultures. Um, I grew up in, you know, small town, Ohio. And at that time we were like 95% white. I think we had one Hispanic person in the whole school district. <laughs> um, but I did have a friend when I was in high school who was Japanese. because We had a Japanese factory in town. Um, so that's kind of a, this is a little bit of a digression, but this is some kind of an interesting story. So my, one of the elders at our church was the HR person at that factory. Um, they made car parts and they would bring in like Japanese people to, uh, they would bring in Japanese people to kind of manage things. And so there was this guy who was brought over from Japan and he had a daughter who was 16. I was 16 at the time. So since the elder church was the HR manager at that factory, I think she, I don't know if she had gone to a Christian school in Japan or had, she had some contact with the church. Um, And I never did figure out where she was in her faith journey. Um, It was, there was a big language barrier there, but anyway, he thought that we would he was trying to reach out to her. so he she went to church with them, and then he said, "You know, hey, there's this girl. She's your age." And we became friends and would sit together, and um the minister at our church would like actually give us the notes of the sermon so she could follow along by reading it. Um, but I've always been interested in other cultures and and just the idea, like people who haven't had as much opportunity to learn about Jesus' as, as I have. But I wouldn't say I'm really like, that great of an evangelist um more of like a support person so Mm -hmm. I was interested in that was one good thing about Johnson is it really like opened my eyes about the different opportunities you could do as a teacher um on the mission field because we had a class called teaching in the Christian school Mm -hmm. and so it talked about like overseas schools and you know Department of Defense schools and Hmm. Different things you could do. So and I knew I learned a lot more about pioneer bible translators at Johnson because there's a big connection there between PBT and and Johnson. So I mean I and I had gone to ICOM. It was called the Missionary Convention when I was young, but I'd gone to several ICOMs, you know, through harvesters when I was at Johnson. I needed a couple years of teaching experience before I did anything overseas. So when I graduated, I was just looking for a job somewhere um and it like my my senior or my uh graduate year was kind of tough because I had had a bad breakup and and I ended up getting a job at southwestern city schools um at that time in Ohio there weren't a lot of people who were certified in English as a second language that's changed now but I think that really helped me getting a job because I you know a lot of times they would have people that they do emergency certification and they You know get the certification but you know columbus was like the somali population was really booming at that time and uh, Mm -hmm. a lot more people from you know spanish-speaking countries um seems like there's a lot of refugees that get resettled in columbus Um, i know they have a big Nepalese population now and iraqis and lots of i think they're getting more ukrainians now with the war going on there Mm -hmm. um But anyway, so I ended up getting a job at Southwestern City Schools, which was ended up being, you know, really good. But I only I taught there three years because I wanted to go overseas. So, you know, while I was teaching, I, you know, talked to different mission agencies and I PBT because I work in a lot of really remote areas because that's just the nature of Bible translation. You know, you have language groups that are like minority languages. So they're usually in areas that are more rural and more, I don't know, areas where there's not as much stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. for people, you know, the missionaries who go over there. So there was a big need for teachers to teach the children of the missionaries. Um, So I ended up going to Papua New Guinea and teaching at that school. And I actually taught ESL there, which is interesting because um, the school is run by SIL which is kind of affiliated with Wycliffe but a separate organization but they have people that go as missionaries from all over the world not just the United States and so I had a lot of I had Papua New Guinea students that I taught but I also had a lot of um, Korean students and kids from various um, European countries I had a Japanese little girl so you know a lot of those like our school was run in English but some of those kids came from like their parents were going to Papua New Guinea from, say, South Korea. So mm-hmm. they didn't know English very well. So I helped them with their English. So, you know, they'd be successful at our school. So so that was my role there. Um, But my brother has autism. He was starting to get, like, has some pretty big health problems. And I just kind of, I always knew that I probably wouldn't be on the field my whole adult life because, mm-hmm. you know, of him. I, I mean, he doesn't need me home yeah, but it just seemed like it was the right time and I went with that other group that was doing stuff in Columbus um, which ended up not working out long term but that's kind of how I ended up back in the states
0: but you said you were in Papua New Guinea for nine years mm-hmm. that's a long time considering that what was your parents reaction when you indicated that this was your direction
1: Oh, they were okay with it. I mean, cause they've Good. always been minded. Yeah. They were supportive. Good. Yeah. My mom actually was my forwarding agent. So, and if you don't know what a forwarding agent is, it's like, when you go overseas, it depends on the organization, but a lot of ones that are like of restoration heritage, you have to have somebody who like manages the donation checks basically and helps like send out your newsletters and mm-hmm. anything they need. And that person's called a forwarding agent. So that was my mom's job. She was kind of like the go-between between my supporters, myself, and PBT. Hmm. So it's a big job. I mean, it's a volunteer job. Like you don't get paid for it or anything. You just do it.
0: You yourself. have to raise your funds and, and have somebody paying for it for you. Yeah. Well, that had to be an uh, an interesting experience living in Papua New Guinea for nine years obviously a very different culture than what you yeah. were raised in or went to school <laughs> in yourself yeah since since you've been back in the states then you've worked at a couple of different school systems so if you don't mind talking about it want I, mm-hmm. I wanna I want to get your kind of the process of feelings and decisions and, and direction and such as you went through the current, you know, medical journey that you're on right now?
1: Yeah. So my cancer is very strange. Everything about it has been strange because endometrial cancer, usually usually women are like in their 60s when they get endometrial cancer. I was 45. So, um, and it usually happens in postmenopausal women. I was not, po- I had not hit menopause yet. Um, so when you're younger, it's a lot harder to diagnose, and usually endometrial cancer is slow growing, and mine was fast growing, so there's a lot of weird things about it, but I guess in the fall of 2001, I'd had some lower back pain, but I also, I teach in four different schools in my current job, Um, so I do a lot of, like, you know, taking stuff from my car, you know, back and forth lots. I thought I just pulled a muscle or something, but it it wasn't going away. So I saw both my um, regular doctor and my OBGYN. And actually it had like an ultrasound with my OBGYN, but they, they both thought it was probably muscular. So that's the weird thing is I had just seen my OBGYN, but I think it was like the tumor was hiding in a corner or something. Then I, it was like, the Friday before Thanksgiving, um, I had gotten home from work and I was really tired, which isn't that unusual for Friday night. And I was feeling kind of cold too. And I just thought, well, maybe the house is cold, but I was like, well, I'm going to take my temperature just to be on the safe side. So I took my temperature and I had a fever. So, I mean, it's 2001. So what do you, or 2021, sorry. What do you think in 2021, when you have a fever, you think right. you have COVID? Even though I didn't have any respiratory symptoms, but you know. So the next day I got a COVID test and no negative for COVID. I had been in and out of like urgent care and CVS's little minute clinic or whatever. Um, because it was hard to get a doctor's appointment, you know, near the holidays and stuff. And, you know, it's like, well, it might be gastrointestinal and all this stuff. But the fever lasted for 10 days. That was a weird thing. So I finally was able to make a doctor's appointment. And thank goodness I was able to get in with my OBGYN first, because I think that sped up the process a lot. So um, it was a Monday, and I got in with my OBGYN, and she did an exam and she felt something, um, felt a tumor. And she actually told me to go to the ER, which she said, I don't normally do that, but um, because she wanted some more tests run. So later that week, I got an MRI and showed that you know, I had something there. Um, And by the end of the week, I was um, in the hospital at the James um, and getting a, a biopsy. So, I mean, that's something that's really good too, because, you know, I live in a suburb of Columbus, Ohio, and we have one of the best cancer hospitals in the country right there in Columbus. Um, It's called the James Cancer Research Hospital. So anyway, by the end of the week, I was getting a biopsy and then they determined that it was endometrial cancer, but um, I think it was like stage two B anyway. So by the end of December, I was going to go in for surgery and she, um, my OBGYN did laparoscopic surgery to see if she'd be able to do a hysterectomy. And she told me, you know, you might have hysterectomy when you wake up. You might not. Cause it depends on if I'm able to do it. So she did that laparoscopy surgery and my tumor was so big, it was pressing on my colon. And so she was not going to be able to take it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. then she said, decided that she was going to have me do six rounds of chemotherapy. So I did chemotherapy. I did three rounds of it. Um, and then I ended up well, and then I ended up getting shingles, <laughs> so what? I had to delay my surgery my a little goodness. bit. Yeah, usually you don't get it till you're over fifty. Like you can't get the vaccine till you're fifty, but but because of being on chemotherapy, like that suppresses your immune system. So so anyway, I ended up having a hysterectomy on March seventeenth, so on St. Patrick's Day, I had a, hystere- had a hysterectomy. So yeah, the the chemotherapy was like they wanted to shrink the tumor enough that they could actually do the hysterectomy. So um, I had a radical hysterectomy and I actually also had to have an ileostomy because the tumor was still pressing on the colon. So um, it hadn't spread to the colon at that point, but it was pressing on the colon. So, so I had the hysterectomy. Then I had three more rounds of chemotherapy and I lost most of my hair, like 90% of my hair. Um, It's obviously growing back, but it's I got these chemo curls. I don't know what to do with my hair. It's kind of crazy. But (laughs) anyway, so I had, I finished chemotherapy in June and then my doctor, because of my age and everything, she wanted to be aggressive in my treatment. So I ended up having to get 25 rounds of radiation um, this summer. So I had to go to the hospital every day and, and get that, which is like radiation doesn't really hurt or anything. It's just a pain. Um, but I was thankful that I lived, you know, so close to the hospital. Yeah, I had the radiation and everything. And then I was scheduled to have surgery um, December 21st. Before I had surgery, I had a CAT scan. And that's when they found the little tumor on my colon. Um, They didn't know if it was cancerous or not. But the surgery was to reverse my ileostomy, um, but then they also, my doctor wanted me to, wanted to remove that growth because we did a PET scan too. And it showed as possibly was cancer, but they didn't know. Um, so she took it out and everything. And thankfully, like the margins around her, she took it out. Like there's no cancer there or anything. And it was real rubbery, which is weird because usually cancer, I guess is not rubbery. Um, So she thought probably wasn't cancer, but unfortunately when we got the pathology report, we know that it is cancerous. So um, she's sending it off right now to do genetic work on the, or like a genetic markup on the tumor, because I guess if it's like a certain genetic mark, fingerprint or whatever you want to call it, then I might be a candidate for immunotherapy, but I don't know yet. So. I have a doctor's appointment Friday so I guess if people want to pray just pray that for wisdom for my doctor um to know you know what to do and you know I guess it's like worst case scenario because it, it has spread but best case scenario for worst case scenario that seems like it's contained to that little bouncy ball so so it's kind of like right now I'm recovering from surgery so I'm on medical leave till probably like mid-February mm. um right now so
0: in going through something like cancer how has that has that challenged your faith or how has faith been uh an important part of your journey
1: well i never like you know some people when they have things you know they go through the like why me mm-hmm. thing i don't think i ever had that because it's just like i know we live in a fallen world and anyone can get sick you know and i can see how god's Like just the fact that I got a fever, you know, like that caught my attention that something was wrong. So, and I live so close to a cancer hospital, you know, like there's a lot of things I can see God's hand in it. Mm. Um, That doesn't mean it's been easy. You know, the church I've gone to, we just, everyone's been very supportive and kind and and I really appreciate that. So I think just having that foundation of faith, I think it makes it easier for you to be calm when you face things like that. Because really... I mean, I, I want to fight this the best I can, you know, I mean, I'm only 46, but even like worst case scenario, like if, if I would die or whatever, like I have peace with that, you know, because I have that faith. And I think that that's one thing that for those of us who are Christians, not that it's not hard or anything like that, but, but we have peace knowing that, you know, no matter the scenario, it's going to be okay, but. I, I think one of the hardest things for me has been just cancer really, really drains you like mm-hmm. your energy, and um, especially when you're going through chemo. And so I've just had to be be okay with not doing as many things as I used to. Um, and that's kind of hard because, you know, like any evening activities for a long time, I just couldn't be involved in, you know, I, I, Really, just had to focus on getting better. And then once I was able to go to work, it was just like, you know, work and go home, crash, you know, and you just have to be okay with that, you know, and, and really like your faith's not about what you can do for God anyway, it's your relationship with Him. So I think that that reminded me of that, I guess.
0: Laura, this has been great. I really appreciate you sharing. With us, your journey today. I thank you for being my guest. My um, a couple of things, though, I still need to ask you before I let you go. Uh, I've been asking of all of our podcast guests, so you're not going to be unique on this one. I'm going to ask you as well. First question is considering everything that you've been through in life and all the lessons that you've learned and such, what is something that you've learned that you would really wish to make sure other people knew?
1: Life, you have your good times and your bad times, you know, and I think that what you invest in during those good times and bad times too. But I mean, like if you like still stay connected to God and stay in his word and do things to increase your faith during those good times, because when you hit the bad times, that's what you draw from. It's kind of like you fill your tank and I've lived long enough that I've had several times that have been really good, several times have been really bad Mm and situations, you know, Um, but I think just staying consistent and keeping that relationship with God, even because I think sometimes we have a tendency when, when things are bad, or when things are good to kind of slack off a little bit. And I mean, a lot of it is just like personal relationship too, because I mean, like right now, I haven't been able to go to Wednesday night or Sunday morning, or, I mean, I've been going to church, but like not Sunday school. So I've just had to do things on my own a lot, but I think just staying, keeping that line with God, I think is really important because you never know when something's bad is going to happen. I mean, I was, I thought it was fine. And then I got that fever the last 10 days and they're like, Oh, I have cancer. You don't always know when something bad's going to happen.
0: I really appreciate that. Um, You made me think of a phrase, uh, dig your well deep. And yeah, yeah, it gives you something to draw on in the hard times. Good. Well, Laura, thank you for that. Uh, One more question I'm going to ask you and then give you a moment to think about while I do a commercial. Imagine, if you will, that for the next 60 seconds, everybody in the world is listening to the podcast. Oh, boy. (laughs) So congratulations. You have 60 seconds to address the entire world. What are you going to say to the whole world in 60 seconds? While you think about your answer let me ask our listeners have you heard about johnson university's vanguard church partners program churches who seek a more dynamic relationship with the university are invited to join this partnership as we work together to foster stronger connections between churches the university and the students who attend johnson from vcp churches student scholarships and a variety of church benefits reinforce the partnership of johnson university with each partner church Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash vanguard, or call Brian Lakin, Director of Church Relations at 865-251-2141. So Laura Rios, formerly Roberts of the class of 2000 here at Johnson University in Knoxville, Tennessee, a longtime teacher, uh, ESL in particular is the focus, Uh, currently teaching in Ohio, but on sabbatical for medical recovery. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today and your time and your stories and your insight and wisdom. Laura, uh, what one minute message would you give to the world?
1: We need Jesus. Um, Not only, I mean, we're all going to die someday. And so it's important, you know, to have a relationship with him, you know, so that you can be saved from your sins um, but also too just life here on earth it doesn't make it easier being a Christian in a lot of ways but you just have someone to walk with you if mm-hmm. you have a faith in Christ
0: very good well that's that's concise and so important you need yeah. Jesus we need the companionship when life is difficult And he certainly provides that. Laura, thank you so much for being my guest today on the Sojournal Podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you.
1: You're welcome. Thank you.
0: The Sojournal Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University. Edited by Lena Gavorsky. Podcast graphics by Rachel Woolard. Music by Loyal Love. Tune in to other Sojournal podcasts dropping normally weekly on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening.